Our guest this week is Alex. She was a little bit nervous about the podcast, so um, we did two recordings. So we did one at first where um, it was a little bit all over the place and it wasn't really structured. And once the nerves died down, um, we were able to get back rolling and talk about her experience. And I thought it was important to illustrate that because this podcast episode is it's me and her. We're just chatting. Um, I was very limited in the amount of editing that I did uh, just to keep the organic feel of it. So there's a few more likes and ums in it. But this was a really genuine conversation. And a lot of people have asked me about more diversity on the podcast, where the black women, where the men. And so we're at a place now where people are sharing the resources, something positive for positive people across their networks. And more people are feeling compelled to reach out and be a part of this and share their experiences living with STIs and share their experiences uh, dating. And we are able to really connect the stories to these quote-unquote rising STI rates across the country. So um, it's really important for us to be able to see the person um, through the story that's being told rather than just looking at what the numbers say and taking them at face value. Like there's so much more depth to it and I'll always continue to preach that narrative um, until the stories match the statistics. There's not going to be anything we can do really except for uh, draw our own conclusion based on what the facts are. The facts are we have these numbers but no stories and the facts are that we have these stories that have so much more depth than the numbers do. So I'm hoping that with added efforts and with contributions from the Something Positive for Positive People community, we're going to be able to sort of bridge that gap and figure out exactly what these numbers are saying and how these stories really apply to the numbers. I want to thank Waxo for their ongoing support, W-A-X-O-H. It's an online magazine that is LGBTQ friendly as well as sex positive. I'm allowed to contribute a lot of my own content to that site and as I mentioned before I'm very limited in where I'm able to promote the podcast so the efforts on everyone's end as far as leaving reviews and sharing these podcast episodes in their communities and on the subreddits and in their Facebook groups and among family members and friends who are struggling with the diagnosis themselves and all of the organizations that support us thank you so much because this has grown beyond anything that I could have imagined even to a place now where um, I'm able to co collaborate with other podcasters and it's exciting to be able to be taken so seriously especially about something that is a serious issue I never saw myself talking about sex education sexual health in my entire life and here we are now doing that and in doing so being able to partner with other podcasters like let's talk bro this is one that's it's a podcast on black masculinity to put simple but it's so much deeper than that we're talking about what it means to be masculine what, we, what it means to be a man what it means to be black and masculine and how black masculinity looks so much different than masculinity in itself uh, just given the system uh, systematic systemic uh, oppression and white supremacy patriarchy how all these things compounded on top of being black or being in impoverished communities and all of that all of this stuff plays a role in how we project our masculinity and what our ideas of it are. And I'm someone who's personally, as a cisgendered, straight, black male, felt very 
I mean, I still kind of do feel alone in this space. And it was until I came across the Let's Talk Bruh podcast that I began to be like, oh, there are like other people who are having these conversations, other black men, men who look like me, think like me, who are figuring this out. And I feel some sort of guilt about being 31 years old and just now coming into contact with words like trauma, uh, self-awareness and acceptance and understanding that the emotions that I feel and consider to be normal aren't normal. So having grown up in just various types of dysfunction and now having language to associate with it and be able to look at those events in my life and the traumas and be able to put a name to them and be aware of them allows for me to heal them. So I want to give a shout out to the Let's Talk Bro podcast as well and give them space for this promo. I encourage you to go and check it out. Let's Talk Bro podcast. And then after you hear the intro, I want you to take a listen to Alex's story on something positive for positive people. Till next time. Oh, wait, not till next time. <laughs> That's for the end of the podcast episode. All right, stay tuned to the end. Yo, black men, are you tired of being told that men are trash? Are you tired of hearing over and over about toxic masculinity? Are you tired of having black masculinity defined for you? All in the videos, dancing. I bet. Check this out. Cue the music, please. My name is Jeremy Hurt, and Let's Talk Bruh is a podcast that I host on black masculinity. We have conversations on black masculinity and take it into our own hands to find it for ourselves and break down what men are trash really means, as well as what it means to hold ourselves accountable for toxic masculinity and the ways that it impacts us and women. I have conversations on vulnerability, mental health, friendship, sex, and much more. Being a black man, as we know, is a full-time job with no days off. And Let's Talk Pro is a podcast where all black men can have deeper conversations outside of Twitter's 280 characters to vent, to laugh, celebrate our wins, and call each other out for problematic behavior like telling your boy to man up when he's crying because what does it really mean to be a man if you can't cry? With each episode, we try to do our part in considering and suggesting new visions of black masculinity. Let's Talk Bro drops every Wednesday anywhere you can find podcasts. How about you tell me what you do? place yeah yeah it sounds like you're very positive empowering especially for the communities that you represent is that accurate yes all right did your diagnosis affect how you looked at yourself at all i guess when i first like realized um i was talking to this guy who i actually wound up getting into a relationship with but it was kind of like I had to open up about that. The same day I found out was the same day that I had um, contacted him and, you know, told him everything. And it made me look at myself as to, I don't know, I guess kind of vulnerable that I was able to be, you know, there's really no blame because at the end of the day, I didn't take the cost of, precautions that I could have taken um so 
I guess I really can't say, well, this person did that, you know, it still falls on my hand. I'm, I am an adult, so it's like, yeah, okay, you know, you live and you learn. It made me just kind of make myself realize that there's a lot of steps in life that I'm still learning and a lot of things that in life that I'm still making mistakes on. And it made me to realize to stop trusting people as easy as I usually do. Made me take a lot of caution in life to slow down and realize that my worth is a lot more than what I was putting on the table before. You know, I still realize from going to therapy and everything, I think one of the things that I want to talk into therapy because I've been talking about control and gaining my control and my self-perseverance and learning who I am still because, I mean, I'm still learning. At the end of the day, my mom is my emergency contact. <laughs> so I'm just realizing that I'm an awesome-ass person and this diagnosis does not stop who I am. I'm still going to be an awesome, beautiful soul. I, a person who loves and a person who cares and a person who tries to, you know, give the person the benefit of the doubt, even when they don't deserve it. <laughs> they need all of the doubt. <laughs> yeah, but at the end of the day, I mean, I used to look back at it like, oh my goodness, in the world, how am I going to date, you know, coming out to disclose and stuff like that. You sure you ain't nervous? Why do you say that? <laughs> I asked you one question. You started, you answered it, and then when I paused, you just kept talking, and then you won't look at because, me. Like, <laughs> because, like, you, you just, I was looking. I was looking. You was like. That's for the podcast. I, I got to put that dead space in there so I know, like, where to edit. And I don't say like and oh, um a lot. I, oh, I was I about to start talking, like and then you know. started talking again. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was giving you time to break. I was like, well, I guess I was yeah. No, I could tell. It looked like you were trying to think of the next thing you were going to say, and I was about to talk, yeah, but I didn't want to be rude. I was just like, you know, trying to be like... <laughs> so this is something that happens on this podcast. I, I Like, when I want to break the ice with people and get them to open up, it's funny to just call out that kind of stuff. Let me introduce you. I'm here with Alex. Alex is 27 years old, lives in Georgia. We'll leave it at that. You own a hair salon, is that right? No, I'm a booth For now, right? I pay most... I want to actually do a mobile salon. Oh, so kind of like you'd have a food truck, but you'd go to places of employment, like during lunch break. Do their hair, like maybe like just in general, go to places, do their hair, um, style them, especially like plus size women, and you know, dress their curves and make them feel good, do their makeup. Oh, so know, this make ain't them feel sexy. So this ain't just hair we talking about. You a stylist? Yes. Or uh, ooh, I like and, to do the whole thing. An image consultant. I like it. We uh, talked a lot about the diagnosis, but you were diagnosed with genital HSV type 1 or type 2? Two? 2. Which is primarily expressed and diagnosed as genital herpes. So for those who don't know, there are two main types of herpes. Um, the herpes family itself consists of, I believe there are eight different types. And type 1 and type 2 are the ones that are primarily associated with sex, given HSV-1 is primarily oral, and it goes by cold source to most people. And then HSV type 2 is typically just genital herpes. And oftentimes they 
can be diagnosed by a doctor. If they see it on your genitals, they'll call it type 2. And if they see it orally, they'll call it type 1. But you can have either in either location. And the only way to know for sure is to have yourself checked. Go in and uh, if you're presenting symptoms, you're able to get tested on the spot. They should be able to swab it, do a culture. And if you're having an active outbreak, if drawing blood is an option for you, then you'd be able to do that as well. If you are not presenting any symptoms at the time of you requesting a test for herpes, you will often face resistance. And that's something a lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't know that, one, herpes is not included on a full STI testing panel. And we don't find this out until we're either exposed to it or until we come into contact with a person who is open to and willing to educate us about this and who discloses to us and tells us, hey, this is some information that you just may not know and gives us a reason to look into it. So wanted to give you a quick rundown on that as we get into Alex's story. So Alex, I would like for you to, kind of like you did the last time we talked, I want you to just tell me um, how you were diagnosed. Tell me what was happening around that time and then I'll cut you off and ask questions. <laughs> and if you need to pause or anything, just nod. Just give me a nod so I know that it's okay to speak, all right? When I was first diagnosed, I uh, went to the OBGYN. I go, you know, yearly, yearly check, and then I always do my testing as well. And when I went in and did my testing, everything was good. Um, nothing was seen. <laughs> and then I went in and um, had my test come back and all that, and that was good. And then about almost towards the end of January, the probably the beginning of February, towards the end of January, I had got a call and I was working and it was from the person that I had relationships with and it was kind of like, hello, because we hadn't talked for a long time. I realized what it was basically, you know, I didn't really want that. I wanted something more. And so I kind of like cut him off and then the first thing I heard was like, you be, you gave me herpes and this and this. I'm just like, huh? Because <laughs> I'm kind of like, uh, wait a minute, no. So he I... called you just accusing you? Yeah, he called me accusing me. Um, I had never gotten a call like that, which was kind of like scary for me because I'm just like, I just got tested and before I had sex with him, all of my tests were negative and I was just kind of like, huh? So I was confused and I, the, you know, the first thing I went was to tell my best friend and she was like, but you just got tested and everything. I said, yeah. And he was like, oh, you have to get, you know, telling me stuff that I already know. Oh, you have to ask for them. Like, yeah, I asked for that and I have my paperwork and everything. I always ask for it. Um, and he just was cussing me out, calling me B and this and that. I'm just like, I'm not a person who sleeps around. And, you know, for me to hear somebody calling me names I've never heard, had before was kind of like, whoa, okay. So I was kind of like, you know, after I heard, you know, he called and told me that I instantly called anybody that I had sex with, like, before or anything like that. And they were like, no, we got tested and we're good. And I'm just kind of like, okay. 
So then I had, you know, called the guy that I was talking to. I'm just like, hey, you know, um, did you have anything going on or anything? He was like, no, everything's fine. I'm like, well, this guy that I basically had a relationship with before you, he just called and told me this. And he was just like, whoa, kind of taken back. And the first thing in my mouth, I'm like, hey, go and get tested and I'm got I'm going to get tested again and everything again at this point you didn't know that herpes tests were not included in your SCI testing no I knew okay I've always gotten um since high school basically any like when I first got I guess like sexually active um my OBGYN and my cousins they always told us, hey, this isn't included. Um, and when I first got my first herpes test was when I was going to, like, just the clinic. And then when I, you know, got older, when, then, you know, that you start doing stuff, they're like, hey, you need to go to OBGYN. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, hey, can I get everything? <laughs> and they're like, okay. So I've always got the... Um, it will go to HIV-1, HIV-2, um, it will say HSV-1, HSV-2, so I've always had, like, those, and it will always tell me everything in the test that it would give, like, super sensitive, so those will always come up, like, negative, um, and when I went in for my, I guess, that testing, that probably like two weeks because I had to set up an appointment. You can't get seen unless you actually set up an appointment for the testing. And so when I called and everything was setting up my appointment, like probably two weeks prior, I got like instantly sick. And I was just kind of like, I've never felt like this before. So I caught like chills. Um, and then that's when I had an actual, it looked like an ingrown hair on my, like, outside lip. wasn't inside or anything, but it looked like I didn't grow here, and I was just like, I did shave, but I was kind of scared because, like, he had told me that, and I was just like, oh, crap, I have herpes. Do you think this could have been something that you would have easily just skipped over had you not been told that your previous partner had herpes? Um, I've never had a bump like that before, mm. so I probably wouldn't have just skipped over it because I'm, I'm very aware of my body. I, I'm, I'm very cautious, and I was always scared to, like, I guess, get anything. So I was very cautious, like, hey, what's this? Or being in taking class, I'm like, hey, well, wait, okay, what's this? And I know that I'm a plus-size woman and stuff, so, you know, I get a little chafing and all that stuff. But I was like, I've never got uh, a bump on my little you know that little thing was always cute I mean it's still cute but <laughs> uh, I had never had like a bump right there and I was like wait a minute why are you right here yeah. so um <laughs> Man. that was new all right, so uh, you go in and get tested. What was your experience like with the medical professional that you went and saw when you had this bump appear, or was it gone by the time you were able to get in? Um, I had told her because I had told her about it. Um, she didn't really, you know, look at it because I had already had my, um, you know, pat smear and all of that stuff. 
And so when I went in to get tested, I literally just went into the, they kind of have like a separate room. They have where they check and look at you and then they have the actual blood drawing and everything. So they just went straight into drawing the blood and getting everything done. Okay. Now with your OBGYN, was this the person who you went and saw, is this also your OBGYN? Um, yes, I went to my actual place. Like, that's the only place I would go get tested. Got because it. I really don't trust, like, the tree clinics and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Is um, it just, like, a distrust <laughs> or what? I've seen them mix up people's paperwork, and I just wouldn't want to, like... The last time I went there was, like, to get the shots for my HPV, you know, when they were in school, high school, it was mandatory. So, other than that, and to when I was in high school, and used to do that until I got to the real people, and I was like, yeah, but I never really trust the clinic. Oh, okay. So this just <laughs> I ain't trying to sound bougie or anything, but I mean, I want the, I want the real stuff. I want the all the paperwork mayo show me everything please <laughs> all right so your relationship to this dude that called you cussing you out have you talked to him after yeah. that instance no i haven't talked to him um at the end of the day i was like when i had told him everything because i went back to everybody that like anybody i had sex with until this day they one guy, he took his testing and everything probably like months later um, and he showed up negative. Mm. So, yeah. My best friend, she is an actual, like, does nursing and all that stuff and when she told me, she was like, yeah, it's most likely you got it from him and he was high count and at the time you weren't high count, it was still kind of like Oh, you had somebody so, to explain the viral load to you and yeah. talk you through mm -hmm. some of that. So like do you right there? <laughs> that's so good. All right. Do you feel like that helped you with processing everything, having someone that you trusted to be able to speak to you about what was happening? Yeah, it it made me feel better because I don't know how I would have felt if I put somebody's you know, not really life at risk, but if I had given somebody something that I didn't think I had or something that I didn't know I had, and like, I guess the position that I'm in as the person who received it on the cleaning, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, oh my God, God, please don't say that. <laughs> please don't say clean. So, so can we, let's, let's, like, you know, the, I know what you the, mean. You know, the, the negative side, let's say the clear. Yeah, the negative side, yeah. Yeah. Let's, um, erase that part. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I hate her. You know? No, ain't nobody uh, going to say that. But that's the thing. <laughs> so we don't understand that we use stigmatizing language if we're not in a situation to objectively view the language okay. as stigmatizing language. So when you're talking to so many different people and you find out some of the things that are the biggest triggers and contributors to stigma, that's how I'm able to say hey, can we adjust our language from clean, dirty to positive, negative, or clear, for example? Like, I, I like clear. I think clear is something <laughs> that... Well, the clear end. There you I go. Was thinking about it, I was thinking, <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about dirty because I don't 
when I look in the mirror, I don't see myself as dirty. That's what I'm talking <laughs> about. Yes. And everybody should be able to say that. Like, dirty is not something to be applied to our health status. Like, we have we have a health status. Everyone has one. Your health status is either negative for what it could be positive for or it's positive for what it could be positive for whatever that may be but that doesn't do anything for who we are our identities like despite your diagnosis you still empower women you empower black women you empower plus size women you still out here making people look good and your image consultant and you still paying that booth rent and doing hair it's not affecting your day-to-day life is it no, it's not. Um, besides, I guess, when I ever I decide to get him back, well, back to the dating field. How you going to say um, no, it doesn't, and then you go, you just oh, told my thunder. <laughs> I guess I, like, disclosing when I was talking to somebody because I had just, you know, found out until, like, right now, it's kind of like, it's a big difference because, I mean, I have a lot of people that want to date me, but it's kind of like, I think they look at me sexually and um, it's kind of hard because I'm, I'm not really like that type of person that wants sexual at them. I'm celibate. So <laughs> it's kind of like if I talk to somebody and I want something like I want to have a family, I want to have a marriage, I I want to be able to, you know, please right. my husband one day, stuff like that. I don't want to keep on going in and stuff and being, you know, freaky for somebody who not even, you know, keeping it real with me. So I learned that once. I'm not trying to learn anything else. It's an investment for you. <laughs> yes. All right. When you say you're celibate, do you mean that you are not having sex for a certain amount of time or until the right circumstances come along or what? See, I was celibate two years, probably before I got all, you know, fine stuff or whatever. And then I was like, you know what? Everybody else is doing it. Let me hit it. <laughs> and <laughs> by the time... <laughs> by the time So I find that man, like, who, who is going to, I guess, all of me. Okay, so the reason I ask you this is because two years ago, a little bit over two years ago, I've been with my partner for two years now, but right before her, I met someone out. We were at the club. I was talking to her, danced with her, got her number, left. She had to go home, so she went home. The next day, we were talking on the phone, and we talked about... Uh, meeting up and so I met up with her we went and we got where we go we went to breakfast actually and I ran some errands with her and in the midst of the conversation I don't even think sex came up but she was like I'm celibate 
And I was like, oh, okay. So she was like, yeah, don't think you're talking me out of being celibate. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's not a problem at all because I have herpes, so we can really get to know each other. And <laughs> you should have first thought, you should have seen the look <laughs> on her face because I thought it was completely irrelevant because she's celibate. So why does that make any kind of a difference? So yeah. um, I let her ask whatever questions she had to ask. Uh, she didn't have too many, but I was just like, yeah, you know, it's if we're not going to be having sex, it's not a big deal, right? So... Yeah. Two days later, we were having sex. <laughs> and that's why I asked, because I hear celibate and the word celibacy so loosely thrown out there. I want to get an understanding of what celibacy is for you, whether or not, I mean, it is waiting on the right person. Because there are a lot of women who listen to this podcast and maybe they're going to try things out that work for them. And maybe being celibate for the right reasons that align with what their lifestyle is, what their beliefs are about themselves is going to be something that'll work for them. So I'm just asking to get an idea of like and throw out some ideas of what celibacy may look like. So what I'm gathering that you just said was that you started getting fine, you was losing weight, you were taking care of yourself and you was like, I'm dropping this celibacy shit. I'm getting too much attention. your therapist say about this? Dude, I haven't even told my therapist all of that. It's just kind of like, those were in the, the backfields. Like, I, with the stuff that me and my therapist, well, my therapist and I, we, like, talked about my childhood, what had me, because I, I was, like, I'm, I'm a nice person, but um, for me losing control of myself, I felt like uh, the weight loss was a part of finding my control because I, I used to get abused by a stepmom and she, you know, was force feeding me and had me gaining weight. Was this um, uh like you ain't leaving this table till you finish all your food kind of abuse no, or was it it was a it was a I hate that you are from your father and your father has you as the first child and I'm just going to make your life a living hell while you're going to be here for the summer and for the months. Every time you come and visit, it was a, it was a everything 
that was a make a, a you know a healthy plate. My dad is like six three, big guy, and she would make me two servings of bacon, like at least six pieces of bacon, at least a whole cup of grits, cheese, four eggs, and she would constantly make me eat it. And if I didn't, she would whoop me. It sounds like you was eating good to me. <laughs> no, you was I'm, not eating good. I'm kidding, was, I'm kidding. <laughs> like, when I saw you, I was like maybe 70 pounds. By the time I would finish in a month from getting from her house, I was 30 pounds heavier mm. each time. And then she would give my clothes away and everything. So it was kind of like the weight loss did cause, like, you know, sexual and stuff like that. But it was also because I had just got taken control of somebody used me and and then with me losing my weight and having all of that I felt like I had control I felt like I had control of finally being able to be um what I was made to you know be heavier and everything and I don't mind being heavier I love my curves and 210 I, I love that so, um, Let's go. <laughs> yeah, like flat stomach and all. So I was happy about that, but it was like I finally had control. And when it became like the sex, it was I felt that I had control. And when I finally realized that I didn't have control, I was doing it because I felt like it was empowering. I'm like a a, a king. So oh like, shit! Like <laughs> so this why okay this why we had so much trouble the last couple of times trying to record. You've been like trying to keep things PG, I guess. First off, let me no, tell you. Not this. PG. Uh, all right. Well, listen. Know that we had kink experts and people who have talked about their kinks and fetishes on the podcast. We talked about a whole lot of sexual things so wherever you feel like this conversation is going we can take it there it's safe and anything (laughs) if it needs to be removed it can be removed and you're also anonymous so you can say whatever you want only thing is i'm looking at you ain't nobody else gonna see you (laughs) (laughs) all right so you're a celibate kinkster keep going (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um basically that part of my life came in because I felt um, I wanted the dominancy. I wanted to take control. I wanted the pleading. I just wanted to be the person who was able to have somebody else feel the way that I felt when I was younger and feel the way I felt when I got taken advantage of, you know, my kindness for weakness. And it made me feel better it didn't even it really wasn't even a sexual thing it was it was me being able to bonded somebody and being able to put pain towards them and it was it was like something that made me feel better um fortunately I have retired from that um not because of my diagnosis and all that stuff but because like it was one of the things that I did because I was hurt and I got away from a lot of the stuff that I used to do just because I was hurt. So wait a yeah, minute. So my therapists are going to hear a lot. 
I am learning that there is a healing power in kink and being able to healthily express what needs to be expressed from you. So if you feel that you have power and having a sense of control, I think that with the right people, the right uh, person, I'll give you some accounts you can follow and maybe some people you may want to connect with and you can just follow their social media accounts. But they talk about this pretty regularly, just how healing it can be to explore kink. So for me personally, like I, depending on who it's coming from, I feel like during the daytime, I spend a lot of time being in my feminine energy to where I'm very listening. I'm very empathetic. I'm compassionate and I'm giving a lot emotionally. But when this laptop closed and this podcast might go off and it's time to go have sex, like I feel more expressive dominantly in that space. So people often say like how we have to be in our day to day life. Uh, we we kind of counterbalance that with how we express sexually and outside that like there may be a need for me to be in my feminine energy in the daytime but then there's also a need for me to depressurize that by being in my dominance does that make sense yeah so like you being a business owner you're always empowering people i think that you have a you got to be type a often i'm gonna assume like i don't know what you tell me I always provide a service, so it's more so the clientele is, you know, somewhat I'm in control, but at the end of the day, I kind of give leeway. Mm -hmm. So it was, um, like in my own businesses, when I'm not dealing with others, then yes, I do have a dominancy, but um, I guess majority of the time, I'm doing what people tell me to do. Ah, all right. So now that we're we're getting underneath that, you enjoy telling people what to do. I mean, I'm. <laughs> hey, listen. Conversations go here all the time. Most of the time, I end up having to cut it out if somebody's uncomfortable with it. So we, we okay. like I said, we can get rid of it. But the way that you just explained, like. You felt like you needed to step out of doing the thing that made you feel so expressive. Like kink is something that allows people to really fully express themselves and surrender and surrender into their natural state of being. You know what I mean? I spoke to someone who enjoys being tied up and they talk about how freeing it is to be suspended in the air and the level of trust that you have to have with your play partner and just how they're able to trust uh, with so much trust, just surrender into that experience. And by the time it's done, they've got like an overwhelming flush of emotion. And then there's the aftercare piece where they're just giving love and hugs and you can get chocolate and orange juice. Apparently that's the thing. And they go on like about their day and they just feel really good about themselves. So uh, I'm not a kink professional a therapist. Um, I have absolutely no certifications or anything to be able to talk through this any further than being able to point you in the direction of the resources. So, like I said, I, I'll I'll be sure to link to some pages that you can follow um, if you want to look into that. But that might be something to bring up to your therapist. It's just like, what do you know about kink? And then you can find out if your therapist is kink friendly or not. And if she shames you for your kink, then you can you need I can refer you to a better um, therapist. <laughs> they um, 
um, they pretty much empowered me on realizing the way I take control of situations. And they all, I mean, especially um, my female therapist, she always congratulates me on, you know, taking control of a lot of things. How many therapists you got? Two. Oh, do they serve different purposes? Um, they work together, and I guess you would say they do serve different purposes. Like, um, one person, the way they kind of like uh, observe their observation is very different. Oh, what do you get out of having two therapists? One for the um, plug and one for the love. Well, one is one. <laughs> <laughs> One is female and one is male, so um, especially with me, if you notice, I'm not really looking at you, I don't know. Uh, that's one of the things that I work on a lot. So uh, when I first came in, I never really looked at my male therapist. I really don't look at a lot of men uh, face on for it. Uh, and that's one of the things I was able to I guess work on I'm able to talk to him uh and look him in the face and that's you know dealing with some childhood issues that I had I guess he helps with that but also um she helps with you know telling me and letting me know what means that I am doing and you know kind of calming me down about the situation and everything and they tell me you know, different things and different tools on how to help me do better in my feelings and not getting angry and, you know, being calm. Yeah. Do your therapists know you have herpes? No. That's one of the things that I want to tell them this coming um, session. Oh. And that's normal. Um, A lot of people that I've spoken to just don't feel that that's a space to share something like that. But mm-hmm. I, I know I would love for you to check back in with me after you do so, even if you just kind of write in and allow me to talk about that um, around the time we release this podcast episode. But I, I would be interested to know how you feel after being able to express that and see if that opens any kind of doors to more progress in your development. And also, I meant to ask you while you were talking earlier, like, not looking at men when they talk is this triggering for you because i can make silly faces i can make my face disappear from the screen <laughs> like i don't want to um, upset you or anything no it, it's not triggering uh it's i don't know it's just uh it's not triggering it's just stuff that i'm still working on with okay. I, it's like i have control and of course i my sessions have been instead of weekly, they are becoming bi-weekly. Mm-hmm. This is my first bi-weekly week, so next uh-huh. week is going to be my first session. And so, of course, I'm going to let them know about the podcast and about the different things that have <laughs> the different things that have been going on, like yeah. in my life, and you know, telling them about the things that I've talked with and um, just. I guess see how that's gonna go. Like everybody really like knows like my mom and my best friends and my coworkers, most of my coworkers. And with me being in such a small town, uh, I always get told not to, you know, 
that's something that you should either keep between you and God or either something that you should just disclose to like somebody who that you're actually going to talk to seriously. Yeah. Because um, in small towns like I am in, it's like uh, there was a girl who said that she had her views and everything and was, you know, outspoken about it. And she basically got bashed. It was people just like, this was before I even knew anything. Uh, people were just talking about her and everything. And it was just kind of like, wow. Yeah. You know, because they didn't know. Just like the same thing they did with Usher. Because they they don't know that everything is looking like what's on the internet. The mm-hmm. internet is damaging. You know, they say um, a lot of rural areas, small towns have the highest counts of STD yeah. uh, cases because of shame, secrecy, stigma, uh, word of mouth, and people whispering about one another. And people won't even go get tested because they don't want to be seen going in and out of a testing facility. So that's something that we really got to work at. We got to be better about making it normal for us to get tested for STIs. Like we're not in a place where we're just having sex with one person and that be the only person that we have sex with for the rest of our lives. And even then we should be talking about our sexual health. We should talk about getting tested even together. If you're in one of those small town communities where it's like, all right, well, me and you are going to date. Let's make this a date. We'll go get tested together. And I think that even something like that will shift the perception of who goes to get tested for STIs. Is it going to be Alex going in there by herself because she thinks she got something? Or is Mr. Jones going to see Alex and her significant other that she just started dating going in to see uh, to get tested for STIs? Because yeah. I think that the the perception that we have is reality and i think that that might be the best transition point that we have in these small towns is for people to oh okay we met on tinder we met on bumble or whatever dating site or if we met in person or if we got hooked up even like let's go on a few dates and see if we like each other and you know talk about sex and talk about all right well i want things to get to a certain point and I would feel most comfortable if we were to go and get tested together. And if one person has reservations about it because they don't want Mr. Jones to see him going to get tested or a pastor, whoever in the community, because it's such a small town, then it'd be like, listen, we're we doing this right. We're doing the right thing. And we're communicating about it. That needs to become the norm rather than just not going to these testing facilities at all. Because the people who work at the clinics probably can tell you, oh, yeah, I know who, I know everybody. All these people got something. And ain't nobody coming in here to get tested and treated for Mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. But I'm glad that you were able to say that um, and put it out there that this person was open about it and uh, you being advised against it. I get it, I understand, but it's that kind of mindset from the people around us that keeps us reserved, that keeps us isolated, and it gives people a sense of loss of control because now you've got other people telling you how to navigate something that is yours to deal with. Like, that's that's yours. You, you may not want it, but it's something that you have to be able to take ownership of and control. And now you got all these people in your head telling you, you know, don't tell anybody. You can't tell nobody. How many people are being told that in this community to where we can't yeah. even connect with one another, we can't empower one another, we can't support one another or exchange information among our own community to talk about, all right, well, 
your doctor tests for herpes, but this doctor don't test for herpes. We got to talk. Like, why? Why is that? We Let's talk about this. Why are there condoms at this testing clinic, but not that one? Like, these sorts of conversations have to become normalized. All right. They really do. I just feel like um, if people were as open about it with I look at I look at um like the C D C number counts and everything and like everything I look at is like, oh let me see this and this and this and you know, that information is on hand and from the the rates because we do have a lot of universities and stuff like that. So the rates that not only just in our area but from where other people are coming from you have to think about it it's just kind of like okay with these numbers that are from 2017 it's 2019 now those numbers have to be at least you know double by now because you know it's the beginning of the year or towards the end when they're testing that stuff and then they're not really saying anything until the next I guess turn around when they put out the new numbers and so when people are going in and they're like oh well this and this and you have a status and somebody's making another status and you're just thinking about how idiotic can somebody be to make a status about showing that they just want to be sexual and so because they want to be sexual they're talking about somebody who has herpes or they're talking about somebody who has AIDS or HIV and you know majority of the time it's just like when they talk about Usher like really Usher is not checking for you like (laughs) it's kind of like why are you talking about someone or like Magic Johnson like why are you talking about somebody who really doesn't even care about you, like, who doesn't even even acknowledge or knows that you exist. But it's like people, I feel like nowadays when people talk about somebody who has a STD or who has HIV or AIDS, it's kind of like they're like, well, damn, I can't have this person no more. Like, or like, um, what is that rapper? Is it NBA on board? like that. Yeah, NBA, and they're talking about, oh, he has this, and now she has that. Um, she has herpes, and he has herpes. And then, you know, you look in the comment section, there's people talking about, yeah, she looks good, but she got herpes. Like, that girl ain't even checking for you. So it's kind of like people worry about other people, but they aren't checking for you. They're not, like, at the end of the day, the guys that are looking at me or whatever and they're talking about the girls who do have STDs and who have um, herpes and basically they're talking about me, you know. I'm well, not you know what? for them. Let's, <laughs> let's, play, let's play around with this, all right? So, the LGBT community, for a long time, okay. HIV has been a gay disease. It's just been something yeah. among gay men, right? Now, mm-hmm. I went to a Pride event last year I think it was last year. I went to a Pride event, and it was astonishing to me that there were so many HIV testing places in the area. They were giving away condoms. They had fast testing HIV. So this is how the community has dealt with this stereotype 
uh, within itself. It's like, oh, you're saying HIV is a gay disease, and how about we just test everybody for HIV so that we can we can know this for sure or prove you wrong. So yeah. it's the same thing with, uh, like, we don't have something like that for herpes because, first off, if we find out we got herpes, we're going to lose our fucking shit. And then disown, like, we expect to be disowned by family and partners, but we, we tend to disown ourselves. We do it for ourselves. And, like, the LGBTQ community is so supported by their loved ones, their support systems that... We can honestly say everybody, I'm sure you and I both know, love, or are related to someone who identifies as a member of the LGBT community. And given that herpes is as common as it is, X of the population has it, we all know somebody who has herpes. And it's as simple as that, or any STI. We know somebody, we might be talking shit about HIV, herpes, and the person that we're talking shit to about it or making jokes uh, at or towards might be the person who is dealing with the virus. And we just exactly. don't know that because we're not creating a safe enough space for them to come to us and be able to talk about it. And we also don't have any representation of us in the media. The only thing that we have closest to that are Usher, who has allegations against him for having herpes. Okay. We have NBA Youngboy and then Magic Johnson, who's been alive for forever with the medications for uh, HIV. So if we we have three people that represent us who uh, are positive for an STI, whereas we're able to see more activity from the LGBT community, which is empowering people who might be in the closet about their sexual orientation and what they prefer. Um, but for us, you know, until we begin to see more people who look like us represented in the media, until we see more people talking about, oh, okay, well, I have herpes, we, we can have sex, but it has to look like this, or we can switch things up. These are some alternatives that we can do. Until we begin to see that, we're not going to be able to connect the dots and see just how common this really is. You can tell me herpes is common, but um, when I get it, it feels like I'm the only person that has it because yeah. I don't know anyone else. And that's what a lot of people go through and experience. So we got to be able to, one, just get it out there. It doesn't have to be you as a person who's diagnosed being able to stand up and go, hey, I have herpes. Even if it's through a platform similar to this where we're getting anonymous stories of people who may not necessarily look like or sound like, but their stories, their experiences are parallel to our own. And we can see or hear that there's more relatability than what we think. Because just like you talked, you just talked about, you know, kink. You know, as a black woman, 27 years old, um, it, it playing in the kink community and going to therapy. Like, those are two things that may connect with somebody who's listening to this podcast, even. And now that person's able to work through their diagnosis a little bit better because now they have a role model who's a black woman who is aware of her kink, kink aware, and goes to therapy. So now the person listening might be a black woman who has been considering going to therapy and now that she knows how helpful it's been for you this is something that she's going to be able to step herself into in her personal life and that's what you did like that's what you just did right now and just sharing your experience sharing your story and having this exchange that we just had so i appreciate you so much alex thank you for taking the time to talk to me get your story out here 
and help some help someone. This is gonna help somebody. I don't we may not know who that person <laughs> is, but somebody gonna hear it and be like, Oh, okay, I got it. All right, I'm gonna do this. Okay. That's good. You know, anything that can help the next person or just help somebody in general, especially, you know, just somebody who's trusting who's always trustworthy too, to let them know, you know take precautions and learn the person a little bit better ask more questions and you know if somebody that comes in and lets you know what they have or who they are just don't take them for granted because they're still an awesome person alright thank you Alex you're welcome thank you that concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to, and share this podcast on whatever podcast platform you listen on because that helps us with getting this podcast out to the people who need it most. And it helps me with getting guests because the people who listen to the podcast are often the people who get interviewed on this podcast. If you're someone who would like to be on it, please shoot me an email, Courtney at SPFPP.org. Check out the website. Get on there. You can support us on any upcoming events that may be on the tab. Once uh, we have anything coming up, I'll be sure to add it to the website. You can financially support the work that we do. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit. We can take donations and you can make it a tax write-off. You can ask your business or your organization to donate as well. So we need all these monies and I want to increase the sound quality. I do everything on my own as of right now, but I'm working towards making things change for the better come 2020. Uh, so just be on the lookout for those changes. Till next time, stay sex positive.